Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Aaron Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast is about immigrants, immigration, and everything in between. It's Thursday, second episode of Haitian Week. I hope you guys are doing good. I hope you're ready for this episode. But before we get into the episode, I want to talk about business. I want to remind you for the YouTube listeners, for the Apple podcast listeners, you can leave a message, a comment, a like, and five-star rating. I would really appreciate that. And you know where to find me, Facebook and Instagram on Immigrants Life. So the business is done. Let's get into the episode. Like I said on the top, second episode of Haitian Week. My guest on this episode is a young man that is very, very intelligent. And keep your eye on him because someday he's going to be a successful writer. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. I'm excited to have today's guest. He's a writer, a social activist, and a rap connoisseur. He's as cool as Jean-Michel Basquiat, and he's the next Edwidge Danticat. Everyone, please welcome Kayel Saint-Pierre. Wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, those are some great people to live up to, man. <laughs> How are you doing, my man? You good? I'm well, and yourself? I'm all right. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a great honor. Oh, honor is mine too. But, um, so, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, certainly. My name is uh, Kael St. Pierre. I'm a student in political science. And hopefully one day you'll get to read a lot of me and see a lot of me uh, trying to change the world, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Man, this is going to be a heavy one, man. I'm not that smart. You're gonna... I'm, not, I'm not either. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. That's awesome. All right. Oh, can I tell you something? Please. I love when you post newest hip-hop songs to listen to. Yes. I get excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm glad, man. Sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I'm doing this and someone is paying attention to it. But I'm glad that you are. Yeah. Because really I love hip hop. But as I'm starting to get older, I kind of lose the touch. I have young kids. They're the one who introduced me to new artists. Because if I tell <laughs> them about... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, and should be told, me too, as uh, hip hop is a uh, young man's sport. And uh, me too, I, I get lost to it. But there's a few artists that you, you can find a lot of enjoyment as we as we age. Mm-hmm. And they do age, they, they produce a lot of things that are interesting. But yeah, you, you were saying? No, I was just saying that, um, you know, they introduced me to new rappers. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. some of the new rappers that I started listening to are dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> like this world yeah uh, pop smoke i'm like stop dying i need to listen to good music that that's the state of of the culture right now a lot of uh, young inspiring men are just losing their life to unfortunate circumstances mm. but yeah it's it's unfortunate exactly yeah so since you're a hip-hop head i want to ask you who's your top five goats of hip-hop Ooh, or rap top five yeah, man. <laughs> mm. Pack number one. Mm. Oh man, that's a hard question. <laughs> okay, uh, top five in no no order. Okay. No, no, just in no order. Top five. Pack. Uh, 
Kenye. Mm. I want to say uh, Lupe. Mm-hmm. Lupe Fiasco. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Last one, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I would have made a list. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be funny. The, the last one is Joe Biden. Joe Biden? Yes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, man, you could have called, you could have said Jay, you could have said Wheezy and you went for that guy. Well, I don't know, like, the, the thing is, uh, top five, when when you say it, a top five, it's never really objective, because you can't really, like, objectively uh, make it, un- unless we had selected a criteria, you can't really say, like, objectively, who is the greatest, you can only say subjectively, who do you like oh, the most, so I, I think those five... Uh, artists are probably the, the the artists that have impacted me uh, mostly musically and in my personal life also. So th- that's why I like those five. Hey, fair enough, fair enough. I'll give you mine. Please go ahead. Pac. Okay. Biggie. Okay. Lil Wayne. Mm-hmm. Kanye. Mm. And Eminem. Okay, your top five are a bit more <laughs> have more sense than mine. <laughs> It's all good. It's, it's not a competition. <laughs> but I'm really shocked that you didn't include White Left. Ah, uh, for the Asian connection. You know, he's awesome. It, it is, but uh, White White Left was uh, was respected and highly active when I was maybe too young to appreciate uh, his craftsmanship. So, uh, you know, if it's not the Fujis, I don't know much about about White Left. Mm. So that's that's why. Yeah. Uh, although I, I I love him as a as a as a personality, but I don't think as an as an artist he has affected me that much. I understand. Yeah. I understand. Love some Fujis though. I have to admit. No, I miss those bastards. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so you mentioned that you are Haitian. Were you born in Canada? No, I I, I was born in Haiti. I uh, I immigrated mm-hmm. when I was uh, seven to Canada. Mm. Yeah. Did you was there a person that came here before you, or you uh, came with someone? My dad, uh, maybe came two years prior. We first uh, arrived, so mm-hmm. he he came. He uh, found opportunities. He settled, and then he went through the uh, the steps to have uh, my sister, my mother, and I to uh, move and come to Canada. Mm. And he moved in Montreal. Yeah, or? yeah, he came to uh, to Montreal. Uh, I think he was uh, early thirties when when he did that. Yeah, he came to Montreal uh, in the mid nineties, maybe ninety six or ninety or ninety five. Hmm. Yeah. Is it? I mean, I know Canada's very open. Well, at least back then, mm. for immigrants and refugees. But I've what I've noticed is it's the country where you're coming from gives you the most trouble in migrating. Is this an issue with Haitians too? Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting because my mom, uh, she's been doing uh, steps to have a relative uh, uh, to come to Canada. And um, I think the, the hardest part is, especially right now, she's, doing the, she's been doing the process for a few years and with COVID, things have kind of messed up the whole situation. But uh, mm. the, the hardest part is to always have the the consulate be on the same line because, you know, on the Canada side, it tells you something. On the Asian side, it, it tells you something. 
on the Canada mm-hmm. Asian side, so like the uh, the Canadian uh, consulate in Haiti, they tell you something else, and the Haitian consulate <laughs> in Canada tells you something else. So it's 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 quite hectic. So I, I guess yeah, it, it is it is difficult, but I I wouldn't know which, which hand to to blame. Because I think uh, it's it's a definitely an, an issue in communication and being on the same line. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you moved here when you were seven. Have you ever been back? I, I went. I went a bit before the the earthquake. I think the last time I was in Haiti was in two thousand nine, uh, the December, oh. uh, September of the of that year, I believe. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, it was the first time I returned, and we spent like a, a good three weeks uh, in Haiti, uh, enjoying ourselves, enjoying the sun. Did you have a place to go for with family, or did you rent a hotel? Uh, we still had relatives. We still have relatives in Haiti, and at that time, I think we had uh, maybe four different family members that uh, we kind of jump houses uh, during our, mm. our, our our time there. And yeah, so no, we had a we had a few a few places to stay. We didn't really rent hotel or went to a resort. We we were guests in relatives' house for the most part. Mm. So you fairly grew up in Canada. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I do consider myself uh, uh, a Haitian that happens to be Canadian. So, so yeah, Haiti to me is my my parents' country. Unfortunately, it's 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 a bit distance to me. It's not unfortunate. It's it's a fact. Well, uh, it is unfortunate because I would I would love to have those 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 ties those ties to my roots. And I guess I could find them and I could uh, have them, but. Uh, I'm 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 of the third culture. I'm I'm a I'm a inbred. I'm in the mix mm-hmm. of Canadian culture, Asian culture. I'm 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 a whole being, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Do you speak uh, Haitian Creole? Uh, I understand it, but uh, I left Haiti. I was like the story goes that when I left Haiti, as soon as I learned that uh, I would only need to speak French, I completely uh, abandoned Creole. <laughs> so my my Creole is very Frenchized. So I'll I'll speak a, a a Creole that is highly dependent on 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 French terms, but but yeah, I can understand anyone that that speak Haitian Creole. Mm. But you speak fluent English too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I like to say that I'm uh, I'm bilingual, but I I can partly understand a third, and 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 if you force me to switch in, I, I can understand a fourth. <laughs> yeah. You learned that from school or with friends? Uh, English mostly from interactions, mostly from uh, friends and family. Um, my dad, my dad kind of loves to travel. I would say, mm. and we had a lot of family in the states when we grew up. So he he would drop us uh, a month, weeks uh, in in the states with relatives. So we had to 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 catch up the language. Mm. So yeah. So yeah, I, I learned through that. Also, television, it helped me a lot. Mm, yeah, televisions help a lot. So mm-hmm. he'll just drop you off at the relatives' houses for a month. Yeah, 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 for a month. Yeah, I remember uh, a few summers or two where uh, we were in Florida for a month. We were in Connecticut for a month. Uh, Georgia for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's Great with times. you, though, right? He's with you, or he le- he leaves <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I respect that because I feel like as a parent I'd probably do the same thing because when you have a lot of family members you can just like hey uh, for this month take care of my kid I'll send you uh, expenses mm-hmm. and I'll go do my own thing so uh, no I I liked it I really enjoyed that experience because it was fun just you you get to know your family a bit better too and 
you get to get used to uh, not always having your parents around. So I liked it. Yeah, it teaches you independence. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's cool. But this only happens when it's, I'll say, when the school is off. Yeah, mostly in the, mostly in the summer, mostly during the summer. Mm. Summer break, uh, winter break, semaine de relâche, spring break. Mm. Yeah, mostly around those times. Okay, do you have one specific place that you stayed at that really impacted you? Uh, that uh, summer in Connecticut, uh, we, uh, my family is really uh, uh, the church-going type. Mm. And uh, for a whole summer, well, yeah, for a good um, six weeks, we were left uh, in Connecticut with my godfather. And we attended a, uh, a church summer camp. And, and yeah, that was like my first full immersion into American culture. Mm. So I, I, I really enjoyed uh, that time spent there. It was a it's a great time, yeah. Yeah. What made it memorable? Um, growing up in in Quebec, like although, well, most especially in Montreal. Growing up in Montreal, you you get the uh, the opportunity to experience um, multiculturality. Like you get to experience different people, different culture, mm. and and it's it's enriching. It's it's a great experience. But uh, what I liked about uh, going to Connecticut for uh, six weeks we were like fully immersed in like black culture mm. black american culture and and i think for me who was somewhat lost uh between being canadian between being asian uh between being black i think uh, my first uh trip to my first like experience with black culture i found myself like very comfortable in, in that in that space Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I, I like most about it, discovering black culture and falling in love with black culture, especially black American culture. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. Did you have a girlfriend there? Sadly, I tried, but <laughs> I didn't really. I, think I tried. I tried my best. True. <laughs> I tried my best. And? But, nah. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. Okay. <laughs> hey, shoot yeah. shoot, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, my, uh, uh, my godfather was the, the priest that headed the, the the church that we were uh, the camp was uh, was in. Mm. So you know, I, I had already like that. Oh my god, we can't really approach him because <laughs> he's he's related to <laughs> to the priest in charge. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. So it went against you. Well, not really. I guess you know, it's 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 that balance. You know, you, nobody really wanted to approach you, but mm. you didn't really you didn't really force to socialize with people that you didn't have to, but. Uh, but no, I, I, I really liked it. It was, it was formative. It was a good time. Mm. What kind of church was it? Oh, that's, I, I don't think I, well, my family, we were mostly Anglicans, especially mm. on my dad's side. So I would guess that my godfather, because uh, my dad is a priest. Mm. I guess that's, that's information that I should, uh, that I should, to make more sense. Um, my dad is a priest and my godfather, when my dad was in the monastery, my godfather was one of the priests that uh, assisted him, that that taught him. Mm. So, uh, uh, so yeah, I guess he was Anglican too. Mm. Oh, so your mm. godfather was his mentor. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. So, how hard was it to grow up with immigrant parents? <laughs> That's the thousand dollar question. Huh? <laughs> Personally, 
well, to me, it was normal. So I guess I, I, I'm not going to say hard because I kind of felt that it was hard. But I do feel that it was a lot of – it was limiting mm. in the sense that uh, there was a lot of boundaries that I felt that I couldn't cross. There was a lot of things that I felt that, like, I couldn't do that others could. Like what? Uh, well, just, just discipline. Uh, one of the one of the things that I think that uh, I really like that you discussed on past episode was sleepovers. <laughs> I, that's one. Of, that's one of the things I couldn't do. I, I couldn't. I couldn't do sleepovers. You know, I, I, I couldn't do Halloween, for instance. But I was more religion than 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 immigrant. Oh, it's uh, you're not in your religion. You're not allowed to do Halloween. It's not that we're not allowed, but in 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 Asian culture, mm. everything that is attached to the occult has a power. You know, the, it 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 does certain things. So if 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 you flirt with the occult, you invite those kind of things in your life. Oh, so oh. when you when when you, when you tell your mom, "Hey, mom, can I go uh, go to some kennies with my with my friends?" and she tells you, "Oh yeah, you want to dress like demons and go <laughs> 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 and go dance with the devil and stuff oh, like that." So you're God. like, uh, you're like, uh, some discussion that you don't want to have, so <laughs> you you stay home, and and you you ask your friend, yo man, please get some candies for me, and then then you you get some. And when you become more rebellious, you you set out, you go outside, and then you take the beating that that comes with the following. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I was actually gonna exactly. ask you that if you got beat. Yeah, man, my mom, man. In, I I find that like in my family. We have this weird confidence that because in most immigrant families, I think dad dads do the most of the discipline. Mm. And me was my mom. Mom was fierce. I am. I'm still afraid of her to this day. <laughs> she, she would she would beat us up with whatever she could lay her hands on, man. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. You're telling me, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Put the fear of God in me sometimes, man. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wouldn't cross my mom. Try my best not to. But uh, yeah, so it wasn't really necessarily difficult. It's just you, you had a clear idea of what boundaries that you couldn't cross and the paths that you had to follow if you didn't want to put yourself in a situation that you didn't want to put yourself in. But yeah, mm. uh, not difficult, just limiting. Yeah. You mentioned sleepover. Yeah. I don't know if this makes sense, but do you think it's connected to xenophobia? I don't think so because hmm, the fear of the I don't think so because like a lot of uh, my parents tense on uh, dealing with others, especially with uh, Quebecers or other people um, stem from. The f- from stem from a fear, mm. but it, it's not a fear of necessarily of the strangers of what you don't know. It was mostly of a fear of what they've experienced and what they wanna warn you about. So when my dad first came here, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember the '90s in Quebec, but uh, anti-black racism was quite powerful in, in the '90s in, in Quebec. So, uh, well, all the way till till until uh, 9/11, anti-black racism was super high in Quebec and. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, he had limited experiences, uh, you know, opportunities were quite scarce, and you, you felt that in animosity toward black people in, in Quebec around that time. So uh, my parents didn't want to put me in a situation where even if I thought 
people had good intentions, they could have just pretend that they had good intentions. And on, on, on the basis of my ethnicity, of my race, they could set me up and put me in, in, in unfortunate situations. So I think that's what my parents wanted to guide me against. They didn't want me to blindly trust uh, someone. And uh, because of that blind trust, I get myself in a situation where I would get injured or hurt or, or worse. Mm. So it was mostly that. It was mostly a, a for means to make sure that me and my sister, we, we were fine and not put yourself in a situation where we could have gotten hurt. So yeah, I think it was more security than, than, than xenophobia. Mm. Can you educate us with that Quebec against black people? Um, well, <laughs> maybe it's my own, maybe it's my own, uh, my own fear. But uh, uh, I feel like if you look at Quebec society and you use 9-11 as like a, a middle point, mm. uh, before 9-11, from the 60s to like 9-11, uh, which was the biggest period where black people came uh, into the province, uh, a lot of like the uh, anti-immigrant, anti-hate, uh, stay home, don't come to us, were aimed towards black people. And, you know, especially people that was Haitian that came to country, uh, to the mostly Asians, because in Quebec, a lot of uh, the Asian community is probably the largest black community uh, in, in Quebec. And after 9-11, uh, that's when you start to see uh, Islamophobia as uh, has like the trend in, in who we're hating today. So, so yeah. So when, when you came in, in the 60s, in the 80s and the 90s and you were black, uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the the hate, the shade, as the kids say, came to you. Yeah, because you guys are the new batch. Exactly. Hate. Oh, these people are coming in. They're gonna take our money. They're gonna take our women. Our jobs. Exactly. Yeah. All of that. Uh, all of those fears. And, and, and yeah, and, and after the after nine eleven. I was happy, but I was sad at the same time that uh, <laughs> that her Muslim brothers and sisters were the one suffocating onto uh, all that pressure and hate. Yeah, it's it's their time, unfortunately. Kind yeah, of deal. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that growing up as a black man in Quebec, mm. I don't think racism is as heavy here compared to America, but... That is a uh, a misconception. Oh, okay. I, I do agree. I do agree that uh, it's not all that it's not as up into your face as it might be in the states. Mm. And you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, everything that happens in the state uh, resonates super hard outside of the states. Mm -hmm. So you know, we get bombarded by uh, stories of those kind of situation that comes from the United States. But here too in Canada, we have we have uh, that culture of of racism but i think what's done better here it's the the silence that 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 comes from that you know in the state it happens and if few people manage to be outspoken about it here if it happens that story is often shut down it's often died down it's often muted uh, quickly and 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 fastly it's crazy uh mm -hmm. last few weeks ago uh in in Quebec, fun fact, uh, if you look at the far right movement in the states right now, or that's happening somewhat uh, around the world, mm. in Quebec we have one of the uh, most prominent figures behind that movement. He comes from from Quebec. He he writes a publication of of the new far right movement and stuff like that. He was at uh, the Charlottesville um, 
the Cholovitz uh, march for the for, for the right that happened a few years ago, mm-hmm. but and he has been arrested and he's being uh, persecuted, but it's it's not part of the news coverage that happens in Quebec because it's silenced. They don't wanna they don't wanna show that that part of themselves. They, they don't wanna uh, talk about that. So it happens. It's just it's muted. Oh yeah, for sure it happens. I mean it it happens a lot with especially the Montreal mm-hmm. police. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of of uh, of cases of uh, state-sanctioned violence that that happened uh, in Montreal and anywhere else in Canada. But you know, uh, in the states, because the states they're somewhat a bit too familiar with it, so when it happens, they they, they take arms and they they militate. Whereas here, yes, it happens, but it doesn't happen at such a uh, extent at least under the black community because you know there's there's a whole uh, movement in the first nation communities about missing murdered uh, indigenous women that you know it's 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 a it's a it's a powerful movement yet uh it's a movement that also i feel that doesn't get enough uh, enough time into uh, on on the media but but yeah it, it happens mm. it's just you know there's there's that level of outspokenness that exists in the state is not perhaps something that exists in canada at least not yet yeah, you're so right. I love that you mentioned about the missing women of the natives. Can mm-hmm. you tell the listeners something about it, just to educate them? Unfortunately, I'm I'm not too familiar, and I don't want to misrepresent the the situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, from what I seem to have understood from it, it's uh, there's a history of uh, uh, a lot of uh, First Nation women that uh, goes uh, missing or murdered, and uh, usually, from what I understand, it comes out of the uh, socioeconomic condition that kind of push them into those situations. But uh, what happens on the uh, state side is that uh, our government uh, does little or nothing at all to try to uh, remediate to the situation. So, uh, you know, a body may be found, but uh, you know the, the resources aren't uh, deployed to help to solve uh, to have information behind why there's a person that uh, was that is found on the side of the road, maybe murdered, maybe missing. It's just kind of it becomes like a quote unquote cold filed mm-hmm. very uh, very fast. That's what I understand from it, but I don't want to speak too much on what I do not know. Of course, of course, just just you know the basic, but you yeah. you covered it well. Thank you for that. But oh, thank you. I love when people says like, "Oh, you know the natives or black people that, you know, oh those people are lazy. This is what they mm-hmm. do. They steal. Yeah, because they don't. You're not giving them opportunity." I, I agree with you. I, I don't wanna. I don't wanna. <laughs> I'm gonna sound like someone that kind of that facilitates uh, that kind of behavior, and and but I don't wanna to do that. But uh, you know, in society, when when the formula, when the formal institution don't exist to provide you with the necessary means for you to survive, it's a bit normal and understandable that people turn to informal means to survive. So, you know, crime and stuff like that to steal. Yes, it's wrong. It's morally wrong. But at the end of the day, if you need to do that to feed your family, to save a loved one, to take care of yourself, and it's the only available option because you've tried every other options and doors were shut down in your face yeah. you have no choice but to to turn to crime it's wrong in the end if you if you have to do certain actions that are despicable but you, sometimes you feel like it's the only options that you have to do mm-hmm. i agree so 
Have you ever been a victim of social profiling? Um, I think I have, but 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 maybe it's like a a confirmation bias. Mm. It's like something that you expect to happen, so you think it's that. But uh, I've never been targeted by the police, but I think people have uh, thought of me in a certain way due to uh, certain behaviors that I've that I've like kind of kind of showcased, even though it's not a hundred percent me. Uh, the story that I like to tell to tell people about that is when I was in uh, high school. I think it was uh, uh, ninth grade, I believe. Hmm for for secondary trois for french speakers and my math teacher which you know it's kind of funny because he too he comes from a uh, minority group but yeah uh, my uh, math teacher uh back then i don't know if you remember like early mid 2000s hmm. uh, the style was wearing like over over <laughs> large clothes <laughs> things that didn't fit you would you would you would be mm-hmm. wear a medium but you would be wearing a double x and yeah so i i, I was following the trend and thinking that was that was hot that was hot shit <laughs> and you know so you would wear gang colors you know you would wear the the blues the, the reds mm. and stuff like that and my teacher uh stopped uh, stopped me right in front of a class and tells me hey man i i used to teach in Oshulagamisonneuve where where you people are loved <laughs> you people, people that dress like you people that dress like you are gang members and stuff like that so you better not be doing that and i'm like yo bro <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to look. I'm just like, as as the cool kids say nowadays, I'm just looking out for my drip, guy. <laughs> I'm just out here swagging, man. Chill. Wow. I'm a nerd. Like, <laughs> I, I watch anime. Chill. <laughs> yeah. Did you think of approaching like an adult, like a teacher or advisor to like, hey, dude, this guy is like picking on me? Well. I have a I have a kind of a of a weird upbringing. So when we first moved here, we we we've, we moved into Montreal North, and Montreal North uh, was a place that was booming with uh, multiculture. You know, we had Arabs, Asians, uh, Blacks, Whites, everyone, Latinos, everyone. It was great. But when I when I moved to the suburbs, uh, I've never seen so many white people at the same time in my whole life. <laughs> So, so I was shook. I, I felt like I was on an island and I was the only black person in the island. So like, I'm like, man, I have to make sure that whatever I do doesn't misrepresent any one of my race. Or mm-hmm. if I do something, being the only black person, I'm going to have to carry that whole luggage of misrepresenting my race. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like there was anyone that I could, that I could approach that would understand what I was saying. So it, instead of going through the grief of being misunderstood, I just took it out as it was and, and, and moved on. But, uh, but no, I don't think I, I never felt like I had those resources, at least not, not in the middle that, that I, not where I grew up at least. No. Mm. Yeah. Makes sense. I love that you mentioned representing race. Cause I went, <laughs> I went through that too, that, you know, some people, they just do whatever they want to do without no, re- yeah. without respect, without, you know, it's white privilege for you, man. <laughs> just just being able to be human yeah such, such, such a gift it, it is a gift i actually have a friend that he's white and he understands that there is a privilege and he oh, he makes a joke in a serious way 
but he understands. He's he's not being racist or anything. But like, man, it's good to be white. <laughs> it is. I'm not even mad. M- me too. I'm like, hey, if you ask me, I'm like, yeah, okay, bro. I want that too. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stay Filipino, but I want that privilege. Yeah, no, I, I get that. But, Trust, I, I get that. But yeah, I, re- I remember myself putting this... I, You know, like you said, you put a pressure on yourself mm-hmm. not to act, you know, indecently or quote-unquote gangster. Because people yeah. will see you and say, oh yeah, that's what they do. Yeah, exactly. 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 So... You you avoid sometimes essentially being yourself just to not be not not to have those ideas come towards your way and be and be seen in certain fashion. So yeah, no, it's a, it's a responsibility that no one should carry, but we do and we 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 survive, we thrive <laughs> regardless of that. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. So obviously, you're pro Black Lives Matter. I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So for the ones that supports Black Lives Matter, what do you think should we do to make sure that the change continues? Mm. That's a great question. I, I don't think for, for change to happen, I, I would perhaps... Uh, redirect uh, your question toward that direction for change to happen because I would admit that I get the idea that change has happened and it and it can continue to happen but um, you can't tell me that things have changed when uh, the same problem keeps on reoccurring and reappearing and rehappening so uh, for change to actually happen for things to actually improve I think as a society, what we would need is greater understanding. Your friend, for instance, who uh, understands that white privilege is a thing and he sees that there are certain inequalities in society, uh, he sees that there are those inequalities and uh, just admitting that fact that they exist and that they happen and try to understand them uh, change, may change, and hopefully will change the way we behave because if I understand that as a person, regardless of who you are, that just by the basis of who you are, certain things happen to you, I feel like I'd be more understanding to your plights and through um, the pains that you suffer. And therefore, when you tell me, hey, I'm in pain, I would more likely to react and try to solve that pain. So greater understanding could solve anything i'm sounding like i'm sounding like my father (laughs) preaching love (laughs) preaching preaching the love of christ but uh but yes uh yeah greater understanding man because regardless of if you regardless if you tell people hey there's a problem if they're not if they're not willing to to actually see that problem they're not willing to understand uh whatever you're saying nothing's gonna happen so that's what has to happen greater understanding Mm, yeah well said. I try. So let's pivot back a little bit to immigration. I would like to know your opinion about people crossing the borders of Quebec illegally to be a refuge, refugees. Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> I'm gonna say something that's gonna out me. I'm. I'm not 
too familiar with uh, uh, Quebec immigration policies, but what I do know is that Canada and Montreal have great uh, political platform as far as uh, creating spaces where immigration and refugees are quite welcomed. So, you know, in in that situation, I think I'm fine with the fact that people come and seek refuge in Canada and in Montreal, because if Canada and Montreal are setting themselves as beacon where it is fine, where people can find refuge, then if you know, if you tell people, hey, come, we like you and we want to help you guys, you know, you, sh- you can't really be mad at them when people come and, hey, I thought you guys liked me and wanted me to feel secure here. So that's where I'm, that's where I am. Love me. So, uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I'm for it because, you know, that's, that's, if that's the only way you can get refuge is by crossing the border illegally and, and ask for, then, then ask for refuge afterwards. And I think it's fine. But, uh, but yeah, I, I I understand what I'm saying, and it it doesn't really sound good. But yeah, I'm fine with, no, no, <laughs> with people uh, coming illegally into the country, especially when the country tells you, "Hey, it's fine to to come to the country and and seek refuge." Mm. But if it wasn't, if uh, if Canada, Quebec, and Montreal were against it, and people uh, go around and try to seek refuge, then I would I would understand that when uh, those people are caught. And then return to their country of origin. I would. I'm. I, I'm fine with that too. I. I'm, I. Yeah. That. That's mm-hmm. fair. How about let me play devil's advocate? Okay. Please. So, uh, you know, me as an immigrant, I we spent thousands of dollars to come here legally, and some people says that, which actually I did some reading. It's actually false, but you never know, right? Yeah. They're saying that those people are jumping in line. So instead of the government's taking care of the papers that people are doing legally, those people that are crossing the border are jumping the line and making this traffic jam of paperwork. Yeah. Well, I think that depends on... That, that, that would be true if... Because now that the biggest issue is not really, uh, it's not really the people that jumped the line, or the people that were patiently waiting in line. The issue becomes with uh, the way the queuing is made. If you are in a line and everybody respect uh, that everyone lights up, first come first serve, then that's perfectly fine. But if a system if a line system allows for people to randomly jump in and out of a line, then the issue is within the framework of that line, not the fact that people jump in mm-hmm. and out of the line, only if you understand what I'm yep. Yep, saying, essentially. So, because uh, when the Canadian government uh, allows for people to be refugees, uh, they have created a, a structure where... Uh, People, wherever, however they come into the country and they ask for, for the refugee status, they get that refugee status and paperwork is done and things and resources are, are done toward solving that refugee situation. But on one hand, also, you would need a, a structure that solely focused on uh, 
immigration that is done uh, legally for the sake of obtaining the Canadian mm-hmm. residency. So I feel like that's like two distinct kind of problems. And if the Canadian government works where the whole immigration office have to solve both issues of legal immigration and illegal immigration, then that's on them. That's on them. That's on the Canadian government because they should have split the resources for on one side, immigration resources are allocated to solve immigration issues that is done illegally. And on the other, immigration issues that is done illegally is also solved by another department or another set of resources. But I, I can understand people feeling that, hey, they're cheating, but it's not the same thing. They're seeking refuge, you know, it's seeking permanent residency. And being a, be, having refugee status is quite different than having a, uh, a uh, residency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Again, like I said, I have did some reading about this, that actually the Canadian government have created two bodies of government that deals with them individually. So there's not there's no traffic jam. There's no really traffic jam and no one's jumping the line. There's there are two lines, like you said, legally and illegally. So there's the whatever actually this came from the conservative prime minister that he was trying to run for the prime minister's office a few years ago yeah and that's what he said so anyways just to clarify it's not true there are two lines it has been fixed okay good so great let's go back a little bit with your family please are you close with them do you see them often or um my dad uh, like like I said, my dad likes to travel, and in and had time at uh, uh, to to give us greater pressures because uh, my dad came before us. So a lot of the what I was talking to, a lot of the nineties uh, anti-black racism that he lived kind of soured him at the at living in Quebec at the Quebec experience as far as a mm. black person, and he uh, he decided to 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 move out from. Uh, from Canada, from Montreal, from Quebec, he moved to the state, and he had the intention of us to all move with him. Uh, unfortunately, with me attending a higher education, it was more smart for me to stay in Canada because it's more affordable. Uh, so that kind of that kind of put a lot of pressure on the family at that point, uh, to the extent where my dad uh, went alone uh, to the states. Uh, my sister followed him for a moment. Uh, but came back because she too she wanted to uh, attend higher education. Uh, my mom stayed, so f- for for a good year or so, uh, my family was a bit <laughs> divided mm. to say the the least. And uh, since we've recuperated and we got a lot closer, but uh, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily that we're close. I wouldn't necessarily that we're we talk every day and we're one of those families that would have a line of communication with each other like every every moment to all the day but i think we're close enough mm-hmm. <laughs> i think we were close enough where uh at least to me where we we talk enough and we checking uh, every so moment but uh but yeah i i i would say that we're close enough that's good yeah <laughs> that's, that's that's such an unconvinced no it's <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, you guys not talk every day, 
but at least you know your yeah. family and if you need help god forbid something happens oh yeah of course you know this family to of lean course on. yes no always always that's uh that's family always comes first mm-hmm. that's that's for sure anything happens if i need help if they need help uh, for sure we'll always have each other's back and and be there for each other but you know when, when i when i think of the of the model family uh, that's far from from being us i would say we're not as as close and as uh, as interacting as as loving as uh, as i would think the model family should be mm, yeah. okay you mentioned to me you want to be a writer I would like to yes I would like to I would like to mostly uh, publish work on 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 social like how I think what what I find most intriguing mm. is how uh culture especially things that happen within society affect uh politics so that's that's what I want to write about I want to write about how uh society affects culture so I mostly focus on political culture mostly that's what I want to write about and one of the few points that i like to talk about a bit too much it's often how hip hop is used as a uh, political tool so what i love about hip hop especially uh it's tied to black culture is uh, a lot of people say that in black culture music uh has this is a particular tool where uh people speak their grievances on so all of the things that they find inadequate they'll they'll put it into song and uh if you listen to uh the better rappers they'll often they'll often comment on the how society has filled them and the issues within uh their surrounding that causes them to do certain actions and i think if you would pay attention to those lyrics you could really grasp onto certain issues that affect um people and and how they live in society and if you were to fix those i think you could uplift the black community and others communities oh my god is my phone actually doing that <laughs> let me let me can, yeah, we, yeah, can yeah, we pause yeah. the recording yeah. for a moment i think my cell phone is dying <laughs> oh god all right we just have a uh, technical difficulties kyle uh, cell phone crapped out or something so we had to <laughs> start a conversation it's no biggie no biggie so you were saying about hip hop and being used as a political weapon Yeah, I think hip hop can be used as a political item as to uh uh essentially showcase what uh, people have uh, as far as grievances on how society work and if you were pay if you were to pay attention to hip hop lyrical contents at least uh the better rappers you would uh identify issues that affect uh people and that affect society and you could address those concern and solve them um especially when you think about uh, african americans and black people in general and any other groups that use hip hop it's often people that don't necessarily have uh, the means to uh uh take the traditional political co- course so but that i mean that uh, you know the, the the avenues to the traditional avenues to uh you know either get elected or to vote or to uh be in a party or to uh participate in a civil or social group you don't necessarily have those traditional roots so if you just pay attention to hip hop and what they say and the local content of better local artists you could be like hey 
this artist or those artists often talk about uh, drug issues in society. If if we find a way to at least uh, solve that issue, then you know drugs will be such a problem at least for that community. So yeah, if you pay attention to hip hop, you can save the world. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> that's beautiful. Essentially. All right. Do you have any topics that would you like to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? Because I know you prepared some s- stuff there on the side. Um, there is a few. Uh, things that you guys uh, in your past episode that uh that uh you and your guests discussed that i really found interesting and i'd like to to revisit that mm-hmm. to you and, and and ask you those questions because as the interviewer you you never get to 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 to, to be interviewed so I'll, i want to throw some sure, questions man. your way i'll try uh, <laughs> um you guys at some point spoke about montreal in the summer mm-hmm. And how you know it's it's like the best time uh, to be in Montreal and to live in in mm. Quebec because you know eighty percent of the time when you live in in Montreal it's it's the dead of winter, <laughs> snow, slush, and cold. So I want to ask you what's what's your favorite thing you like to do in doing doing in Montreal summer? What what's the best activity you you get into? Okay, I have to answer that in two parts. Okay, please. So when I was a bit younger, I used to go downtown. The festivals are amazing here. Mm-hmm. I mean, the International Jazz Festival, number one. You know, culture and just the music and just the people, they're all lively. Or the Caribbean Festival. Mm-hmm. You know, check out the checks there. <laughs> <laughs> Get some wine, some dirty mm-hmm. wine. <laughs> oh, I love that. I remember the first time I came and I was like, this is amazing. And it's funny enough, that was actually the first time my ignorant mind realized that there's a country called Haiti. Yeah. Because I remember, because you know how they raise their flag and make them fly. And yeah. I saw the fl- yeah. Haiti flag and I said, oh, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm pretty good with flags. Okay. I don't know why I'm a nerd. And I saw it. I'm like, <laughs> we are I hard. don't know that one. So I asked my friend, I said, oh, what's that flag? And I said, oh, it's Haiti. I'm like, What's that? <laughs> uh, it's a country. And then I started reading about it because of that. I started reading about it and it made me, it fascinated me that finding out, I don't know if some listeners for sure doesn't know this, Haiti is in a, it's an island, but split into half. Yeah. The island of Hispaniola. On one side, you have Haiti. On the other, you have Republican Dominicana. Mm-hmm. The Dominican Republic, as they say in English. Yeah. And it, it <laughs> blew my mind the story because I read more that they, the Spanish says, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to take this spot, which became Dominican Republic. And then the French side took that, the mountainous side, which mm-hmm. became 80. And, uh, mm-hmm. actually I just want to do a special shout out to 80 because it's actually the first country to ever write in their constitution to say that all men are equal. Yeah. Years and years before the Americans said it, AT was the first country to say that. Yeah, to, to say it and to respect it, because uh, exactly. the Americans, uh, there's always a big asterisk <laughs> behind that all men are equal. All men are equal. They, all, they, they mean something else. <laughs> unless you're, unless you're a slave, 
and and men is strictly speaking men because women you guys aren't men mm-hmm. so yeah no no there's a big asterisk to that but yeah i think that's where my 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 political f- fervence comes from because you know as a asian you can't really see injustice and and, and not riled up because that that affected too much that the country mm-hmm. and or and or identity to let injustice just go on but yeah i agree I yeah agree. It's, it's, it's in our blood yeah and the second part man yeah so the second part is now since i'm older i don't even mm-hmm. go downtown anymore <laughs> so what i don't i don't enjoy montreal the city as much anymore however yeah. i still enjoy the island of montreal or even the off island montreal so i'll just i'll just go hiking the beautiful sceneries the beautiful nature of the mm-hmm. quebec area where we live is just mm-hmm. i'm so grateful that i live in this area don't you think it's kind of crazy how vibrant montreal is and how varied like just just that uh, greater montreal mm-hmm. region mm-hmm. like there's, there's a there's a I'm going to use diversity, but that's not the word I want to use. But there's a diversity by that. I mean, like in people, in region, in activities, in landscape, like there's so many things happen. But yes, in a small, maybe 200 kilometer radius, mm-hmm. it's 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 crazy. It's dumbfounding to me. Like it's it's amazing. Oh, yeah, I know. It's beautiful. That's one thing. Again, going back to that, I'm just going to add something to that. I remember the first time I came to downtown Montreal. I remember. I don't know why it stick with me, but. I remember this couple. The guy is a white dude. He's probably mm-hmm. six six, and he's with this girl that I'm assuming his girlfriend. She's probably five one, five two, mm. skinny Indian girl. Mm-hmm. And I said, "This is it. This is what I love about Montreal." It's just, yeah, me too. You know what I mean? Like mixed couples are so normal here. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even like no one even bats an eye. It's just. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would, I would love myself an Indian girl. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> but and be six six two and white too. Uh, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I love about Montreal. It's just the culture. It's because it's so immigrant friendly that yeah. Haitians will come. They'll bring their food and their music, and then the Filipinos will come. They'll bring their food, and then somehow it gets mixed up and. And it becomes to this one thing. I like what There's my this... sorry. I like my friend. No, what, go ahead. I like what my friend said before that in Canada or maybe in Montreal at least, you could be Haitian and Canadian at the same time. Not like in the states that you have you will be American. Yeah. And you were gonna say something. To bring it back a bit to uh to 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 politics, hmm. I I think that's the beauty with uh, the idea of. Uh, multiculturalism uh many don't like it but uh, that ability to have that third culture and to have that third culture be so understanding so encompassing of everyone that uh, you get those moments you get those moments where people understand who they are they understand who they are and you can find a compromise you can find areas where uh, you both can be whoever you want to be and share something and, and that's something I think that's that's what Montreal is. It's 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 that diversity. It's that cross between so many things that is just beautiful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's perspective. 
because you know the Haitians will look yep. at something, let's say there's a problem, and the Haitians will come in and they'll say, "Oh, this is what how we do it," and then mm-hmm. other culture will come in. This is how we do it. So that ideas will argue and argue until it finds the right idea, mm-hmm. and that's what, like you said, diversity. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. No, it's uh, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um. If I was a better writer, I would uh, have kind of tied in uh, my uh, my the moment I came into uh, so many uh, white people as somewhat of a uh, culture shock or or reverse culture shock. But um, that's an idea that I really like that you that you uh, visited on your that you visited on your on on the past episode. Mm-hmm. I was curious to know were you ever in a situation where uh, you felt that where you felt like you were you were shocked at like the way certain culture do certain things or the way that you were so different or vice versa or that something was so different oh so you mean me coming here meeting let's say a haitian person and then i get sh- like shocked how or, they do things certainly or uh or 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 you know you, you went you went to somewhere else and you were so shocked that oh wow they compared to Filipinos or compared to Canadians, they do that like that and, and you find that kind of out of differences. Like, it's different, yeah. Mm, yeah, I can't think of a specific one, but for me, it's mostly mm-hmm. food. Most of the time, okay. like, oh, they cert- they cook their food that way instead of, instead of frying, they'll stew it kind of deal, mm-hmm. you know. So, but little things like that, um, let me think of like a moment that I. S- I can't think. Not nothing really that shocked me. I've met okay. so many people here in Montreal, as you say, we're very so diverse. I met Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I meet. I meet Haitians. I meet, you know, Russians, and nothing really. Oh, wow. I feel like I'm more connected because they're immigrants too, and I'm an immigrant, yeah. so I'm connected to that too. It's more of the people that live here. The for the lack of a better word, the whites. Okay. That shocked me more than anything. I would guess, especially like regional regional whites, like people that live like outside of the greater Montreal area that are like different, I would say. Mm. At least to me. Because I remember like, the, the first time I went to Saint-Jerome, I was I was a bit shook. I'm not going to lie. Mm. First time I went to Valleyfield, I was like, oh my God, you guys are really like something else. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, they are something else. But you have to understand, these people live in a... In a bubble. Exactly. They live in a bubble. They live in a small island. And they barely see people of color. Mm-hmm. And then people of color will show up. And they'll be shook. And mm. unfortunately... We, we, st- we stick out. Yeah, easily. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, sometimes the person that they... Uh, they interact with is not the best representation of that race or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people that lives in that bubble will think, oh, you know, Haitians, yeah. that's what they do. And so the next time they see another black person, it doesn't matter, Haitian, Caribbean, it, does, it doesn't matter. All blacks they are will black. expect, uh, yeah. You know? But yeah, I, not really. I, 
I actually, my wife asked me all the time about this. Like, were you shocked when you came here? You see the houses and everything. And I said, not really, because I see it in the movies all the time. So I'm sure. like, I was kind of ready. And mm-hmm. funny thing is, I remember before I came here, you know what excited me the most was to meet black people. For real? Yeah. <laughs> How come? Because I was like, I don't know. I had the affinity with them, right? Like, first of all, music, you know, like hip hop, right? I'm like, oh my God, there's, they look so cool, these people. I want to, you know, have friends like, like them. Yeah. And then basketball. I want to play yeah. against them. I want to see how good they are. Yeah. So I was so excited to meet black people. And fortunately, you know, I met a lot of black people and some of my good friends are black. I, I, I get what you mean. I have the same affinity, I would say, toward uh, Asian culture, uh, Chinese, Japanese, mostly uh, Korean nowadays. But yeah, I, 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 I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that. Top three uh, Filipino restaurants oh. in Montreal. Great question. My answer would be my mom's house. <laughs> all three? No specific other? Yep, all three. <laughs> my mom's house. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, oh. because if I answer that and people will come to that restaurant, I don't know the restaurant. I'm not going to lie. I mm. don't even, I know, I think one or two restaurants in Montreal yeah. that are Filipino food. Yeah. I'll never go there, dude. Why am I going to oh, go yeah? there? I'm going to go to my mom's house. It's more authentic. I, I, I'm so glad that you said that because when I try to explain that idea to other people, mm. they don't get it. What do you mean? I'm like, guys. Like, I don't know, like, they just don't get it. The fact that, like, I don't, part- I'm not particularly attracted to eating food of my own ethnic group because I, I eat that every day. I'm, I'm so familiar to how it's supposed to take authentically mm-hmm. that when I go eat somewhere and things aren't done as the, the way that I'm truly used to, I, I get grumpy and I'm like, <laughs> man, and, and, and my, my friends are like, hey, well, what's up? I'm like, oh, it's just the way that they, they cook the griot is, is, is subpar. And they're like, what do you know? It's I'm so like, oh, whatever, good. man. Like, no, dude, <laughs> like, it's not even close. No, dude. It's not close at all. Weird. And yeah, they, they, they just don't understand that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I, so I I won't answer your question because I don't have the answer. I'll, my answer is my mom's house. That's the best restaurant in town. But I get that. Because like you said, like when you go, if you go to a Filipino restaurant and you eat, I'm like, what mm. is this? Uh, you feel insulted. Yeah, you feel insulted as a Haitian or a Filipino. Like, no, this is not how it is. This doesn't taste that way. They change it to yeah. please the taste bud of a general public, which is no, that's wrong. You don't do that. You yeah. take out the soul of the food. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry if I can't I answer your question. I, 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 I. No, no, no. I, 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 I get that. I think that that was uh, all I had for you. I wanted some suggestion to go eat. Uh, to get it somewhere, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping an invitation to oh. uh, to a family cookout soon. Then. Oh, for sure. Once uh, this COVID <laughs> is done and everything's good and good, I, I promise you, I'll invite you over and please, you're going to be fat. <laughs> uh, I'm already fat. I'm already fat. I haven't been playing basketball for like a year, so. <laughs> All right. So let's close it up. Do you have any last remarks or a parting message for the listeners? It could be anything. Um, I want to wish everyone to uh, stay well, trying to find solace in the fact that you know that uh, you are in great health, that your family is in great health, and that uh, 
in a few months, in a few years, you'd be able to get together and enjoy and continue to enjoy life as we were enjoying life beforehand. And beyond that, just uh, say hi to your black friend for me, I guess. <laughs> will do, will do, will do. Is that it? You're good? Yeah, I'm, I'm well, man. Uh, be well. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the continuity of the show. Mm. And thanks a lot for having me, man. It's, uh, it was a pleasure. Mm, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on again. Have a good day. And I'll see you later. Thanks to you too. Bye. Bye. Again, thank you for coming on, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for continued listening. So that concludes our Haitian week. Next week will be one episode week. So don't be spoiled now. eh? But the next episode will be a very funny and enjoyable episode, I, I promise you. And it's a tribute to Mamba, number 24, Kobe. And with that, this is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.